GM friends, and welcome to the Metacast Crypto Corner brought to you by Navic. I'm your host today, Nico, um, or Nicolas Vrik is my full name. And today I'm joined by Nat Iliasson and Mette Gultekin, also known as DeFi Vader on the internet, um, who are both individuals that I have a lot of respect for. They do research on token designs for games, they advise projects, and um, both put out some fantastic content. So last week, I had Jeremy and Lars on, on this podcast, and we had a kind of introductory conversation about tokens in games, whether they make sense or not, some some um, things to consider when talking about tokens. Um, and today, our goal is to dig a bit deeper. So um, we want to talk about the pros and cons of a single versus a double token model. Nat, you recently wrote a very interesting piece about specifically that issue, and um, I thought it'd be great to for you to have your you know high level thoughts, and then we can uh, we can have a chat about it. Sure. So, uh, post was kind of informed by some of the work I've done with crypto gaming teams, some of what I've seen in DeFi and other crypto projects for what's working and what's not with crypto tokens, and then trying to figure out how the crypto gaming industry moves forward and resolves these trends of fairly broken token systems. I think most people right now are iterating off of a a fairly Ponzi-nomic type model that was pioneered by Axie uh, and you know also kind of comes from DeFi and a bit of like the NFT speculation space. And gaming is kind of hurt by what's come before it in crypto because most of, or a lot of DeFi uh, paradigms support this like, okay, come in, dump a bunch of capital, farm the tokens, sell them to try to get more tokens. Okay, but you gotta like get out at the right time. Otherwise you're the one holding the bag and you don't wanna be holding the bag. So you gotta like try to dump on everybody who's coming in after you, right? It's it's this sort of like meta game of crypto and DeFi, right? And the people who are losing are the people who don't realize they're playing this weird version of like token poker with everybody else. And it it's great in a bull market and when things are going up but if you don't get out then you know you're you're probably going to lose a lot of the capital that you put into it and so you look at all of these defi protocols that had these exciting periods uh in early 2021 with defi 2.0 in later 2021 and it's this fairly common story of okay you've got these farms and you deposit your liquidity tokens and then you like get more of their tokens and you compound it and you see how high you can get your stack, but you need to sell it. Otherwise, like other people are going to sell and you're going to lose all of it, right? Like almost all of DeFi stuff is down 90% plus against ETH. And it's pretty much because of these, these models getting played out. So uh, most crypto games took those models and uh, copy and pasted them and added extra steps where Now you have to kind of like go do some bullshit work, clicking on buttons, like playing a game uh, to get the tokens. And then instead of just buying more LP, you have to like breed your NFTs to get more NFTs and then you can earn more tokens. And then you can kind of like keep this cycle going. It's the exact same system, just with extra steps and uh, art attached to it. And it's, it's tough because it's extremely effective as a go-to-market strategy, and it's extremely effective for uh, enriching the early investors, but it necessarily harms the integrity of the game because you, you have this problem where 
if the game is fun, it's actually a bad thing because then you'll stay in the game too long when you should have gotten out earlier to preserve your investment. Uh, but it, it it's almost like necessary to get attention in the industry right now because if you don't have these kind of Ponzi-nomic breeding models incorporated into your game, crypto gamers won't take it super seriously or they won't want to play it because they'd rather go play whichever one launched with a, a, a breeding Ponzi. And so we're in this like weird spot. And the reason I wrote the article is it feels like we're actually helped by the bear market in some sense, because a lot of the money has left crypto. A lot of the like speculation is out. If you were in a bunch of discords three or four months ago, the activity is probably down 90%. Everyone's just kind of like sad and touching grass and taking a break from everything. And so it's like this good opportunity for games to say like, okay, what if we like rethink this and try to, uh, you know, heaven forbid, build a really fun game that happens to have a token element attached to it. And then how do we find the balance between those? Because in the article, one thing I mentioned is you could basically take any popular MMO with an in-game economy and just add a liquid market for that token with USDC. And that would probably be a really good crypto game, right? Like just take RuneScape and add a bridge for you know, call it our gold or whatever to be, uh, you know, an unlimited supply token with a very deep liquidity pool between that and USDC and you're done. That's all you need to do. Right. Uh, but then you have to build RuneScape, which is <laughs> way harder than building a breeding Ponzi. Right. So the, the idea in the article was, okay, like that, that seems like an obvious way to do it, but is there anything in between that? where you still retain some of these benefits of fixed supply crypto assets, uh, specifically around raising money and raising capital, because uh, building a game is very hard. It's very expensive. It's very slow. It does not jive at all with crypto brain and crypto timelines where people want, you know, when moon in two to three months, right? You look at almost any great game and it's a two, three plus year development cycle. And so you do need to probably raise capital to build it unless you already have a very deep stack of cash. So that's where some of these mm-hmm. like fixed supply tokens become useful for, you know, raising capital or generating initial funds. But then how do you incorporate that into the game in a way that doesn't immediately break everything, doesn't immediately turn it Ponzi-nomic? Uh, and it was just kind of a riff on some of those ideas because nobody's solved this yet, right? Everyone's had various degrees of success and, you know, it, it's easy to dunk on Axie because they had this crazy run up and then SLP tanked and the prices of Axies are down 98% or whatever. But on, but they also, like they won, right? They have billions of dollars to go build a really solid game now. And they can kind of like go do that for three or four years and have a resurgence. And so it like kind of succeeded, but is there a way to succeed in raising capital and attracting initial interest and appealing to a crypto crowd without uh, <laughs> like having a bunch of investors dump on your community members, right? Like how, do, how do we find a happy balance here? So, uh, I don't totally have the answers obviously, but I do have questions and thoughts. So that's why we're here today. Fantastic. Amazing intro. Um, and you touched upon a lot of points that I want to go a bit deeper into, but first Vader, um, your, your initial thoughts, uh, about this, this intro, because I think, uh, not touched upon, a a good set of, of important things that are happening today. Sure. Let me give you a high level overview of how I think about token economy models. 
So if you were designing and managing a one, you know, fixed supply token protocol, that would probably be a tokenomics design. And we would basically try to allocate the tokens into various principles over time to maximize long-term value, right? Uh, in, the in the case of games or more sophisticated protocols, we're basically designing and managing a complex economy. And for this economy, the way I think about it is that there are two types of assets. There are tradable assets. These assets are um, assets that can be tradable permissionless on secondary markets against a fiat currency. So um, these are like tokens, NFTs. I consider these as tradable assets. And some of these assets have finite supply. Some have infinite supply. For example, Axie has three sets of assets. Access, finite supply, SLP, infinite supply, and Axies, a set of NFTs with infinite supply. Um, and there are non-tradable assets. So these are assets that can't be traded on secondary markets. Um, examples could be, you know, soulbound tokens, off-chain game assets. These are non-tradable assets. So I, I argue that what makes an open game economy sustainable is not whether a game has a one token or two token or a 50 token model. Um, there can be a game economy with, you know, say 50 token model or one token model, and it can have the exact same hyperinflation problems that Axie, Titan Arena, Steppen, and all these, you know, play to earn games have. And there can be an Axie copycat game economy with dual token model and breedable NFTs, just like an Axie, but it can have a perfectly sustainable economy with no hyperinflation problems. So I think like the key here is how you actively manage the economy. Now, how do you manage the emissions and sinks of the infinite supply assets? Um, when do you increase, decrease emission rates? Who do you allocate them to? Whether they're vested or not? How often do you change these emission rates? When do you introduce inflationary sinks? Uh, when and how do you use your finance supply asset incentives to complement the infinite supply asset emissions, et cetera? So, so like in short, um, this is very similar to the role of what a central bank or monetary authority does when they influence the money supply and uh, consumption and investment behavior with you know various policy tools such as interest rates and, and printing money. Um, an example is like in the case of Axie Infinity, the game developer directly controls the emission rate of SLP through the daily you know, SLP earnings limit per player and indirectly controls the emission rate of Axie NFTs through breeding cost. Uh, because they determine the breeding cost price and, and whatever tokens are required for it. So like mm -hmm. if you offer a, you know, thousand percent API um, and, and like a 10x return in one year to any user or to your, you know, NFT or token buyer, just like most of the Ponzi play to earns or move to earn apps. And if you don't gradually reduce those earnings at the right time, then inevitably, you know, the economy is going to collapse because either one or multiple of your infinite supply assets are going to be hyperinflationary, just like uh, in the case of SLP, GST, you know, Luna, or at one point you're going to run out of the finite supply assets and the users will immediately churn because they were there for those, you know, 10x returns in the first place. 
Um, so those are my high-level thoughts on you know how how to build a sustainable open game economy, and happy to get deeper into uh, some of the some of the more detailed questions. Fascinating. So you're telling me that I'm just curious. You just said to me that the sustainability of a game economy is like the 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 amount of tokens is irrelevant or doesn't influence it. What does that mean for a team that comes to you and asks you, well, should we go for a one token model, two token model? Uh, how how are you thinking about that? I mean, it, it completely depends on on like the utility. Like, I think every every token has four main utility. Number one, a token as a stock or a share. This is like where where the value of that game or company's future earnings accrue to. Just like similar mm -hmm. to Web two, you know, shares or stocks, but we can't call them like that because then they would get into regulatory problems. Uh, so the yes. earnings go to the treasury of this token, and the token holders collectively can vote on how these earnings will be used, will be distributed, right? Um, so this is more like obviously more like a security or more like a um, the, the the people are betting in the future success, future earnings of that. Uh, underlying protocol. Uh, number two, I, I, I see token as a scarce, powerful asset. This is like the game asset that everyone wants to own as it has some, you know, strong social singling features um, can either be, and, and this doesn't have to be token, it can be uh, NFT as well, NFTs as well. You know, this can either be like a finite supply asset or can be like a carefully managed infinite supply asset, just like um, Hermé Birkenbacks. Um, the third one is token as a utility asset. This is like, you know, you need this token, you need this resource or item to build something, to craft something, to breed, etc. And the fourth one is token as a payment currency. Um, I mean, so when you think about it, why did humanity move from barter trade to using a currency, like a gold or money. Um, okay, w one obvious reason is because it's not movable, not transferable, not you know holdable and storable, but also another reason is liquidity and price discovery. So like if you have you know 50 corn and I have two cows and Nat has, I don't know, uh, one liter water and um, we wanna trade, like we're all gonna get bad pricing because there isn't enough liquidity the, the price discovery is not good enough, or the person who had who is best at math is probably gonna have some you know opportunity to, to arbitrage, and that is money left on the table for the buyer and seller. Um, so like we need this one currency to provide liquidity, one globally accepted currency within an economy, and um, you know games use this as like this inflationary currency as SLP. But I think this currency, this token, can also easily be replaced by a USDC, an ETH, or a, a you know Sol, AVAX coin, um, because you know with the example of SLP, it has two functions. Number one, it's being used as payments, and number two, it's used by the game developer to control the monetary authority, to control kind of the the, the money supply, the the, the resource supply. Um, but if you already have control over NFTs, um, then do you really need a separate currency for payments? Or would you be okay using something like a USDC? 
So, so the, 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 the straightforward answer is like, there's no, you know, easy answer to say yes or no. It depends on the in-game resources and NFTs as well. Yeah. Nuts. I want to hear your thoughts and you're muted, by the way. The, the one thing that I'll add to, uh, kind of like support Vader's point there is it, it, it doesn't ultimately matter that much if it's a fixed supply, unlimited supply, you know, if there's breeding, whatever, um, in terms of <clears throat> inflation and value, like maintenance and investability, because if there's more money flowing into the system, then value can be retained. If there's more money flowing out of the system, value will be lost. If value is lost, through, you know, like the token count could be going up or people could just be selling their fixed number of the tokens to move into other things, right? I, I think sometimes we get trapped by thinking that good tokenomics or good uh, crypto design will necessitate value transfer into the system. And that's never really the case, right? At the end of the day, if people are bringing money into the game, then the value of the things that you're holding can increase. If people are taking money out of the game, the value of the things you're holding is going to go down. Uh, <clears throat> one thing that I I highlighted in the article and I've mentioned other times is a lot of a lot of the time when we see APR, we think that that means our the value of what we have is going up, but it actually means the value is being redistributed. So this was the kind of like core misconception misconception with Olympus is people saw this you know, thousands percent APR. And so they thought they were earning more money and it's, uh, it was, no, your money is just being converted into more currency, right? Like they're very different things. And it's kind of the same with these breeding mechanics in games, or uh, if there's any kind of like staking uh, in games, aside from a few, you know, specific types that we could talk about later, but like breeding does not increase the value in the game. It redistributes it. And as long as everybody is just holding their assets, then you can have this kind of like Ponzi-nomic flywheel effect. But regardless of how it's structured, if money leaves the system, it's leaving the system. Um, um, the way I, I think about this, and this is, is me thinking uh, both as a player and as an investor, I think one of the strengths of Web3 and games is the fact that you can give players, especially the early players, which are, you know, critical to your success, you can give them, you know, a stake, a part of of the the ecosystem, and you know, as it grows, they can, you know, see that stake or the value of that stake grow, and it also incentivizes them to try and get their friends to play the game as well. And so, you know, this is as a player, I think, as an investor as well, when a company or a project comes to me and 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 you know talks about the token that they're selling, you know, as an in initial fundraise. And they don't have a fixed supply cap. I get, I get, you know, nervous. So there seems to be a in any type of game, there seems to be an, a need for a token that holds its value over time. Um, Nat, after reading your piece, like, and you know, from a naive point of view, it seems you know you need one asset. Um, ideally a fungible asset that holds the value over time that represents sort of the, the value that gets created into the game and captures it. And on the other hand, you need something more flexible that allows 
the one that's designing the game who wants to optimize for fun and engagement, you know, to give some flexibility in supply demand. Um, you know, when more people come come in, you don't want the barrier to entry to start playing to increase by by a lot as, uh, as well, which you might have, which you might get if you only have one token um, that's supposed to to capture the value. And so my naive thinking was. You know, a just dual token model makes sense. You have one token that represents, you know, value inside the system, and then you have another token that gives more flexibility, and that could, you know, the value could go down as more people join the system. So, you know, it, it all balances out. Um, so, you know, I, I believe not. This was similar to your thinking um, initially, and now you're you're stepping back from that. Can you talk a bit more about your your thoughts there? Yeah, and Vader touched on this a bit too, where there's we use these terms token in to mean multiple things where it can mean crypto asset and it can mean in-game currency. And one thing that I've kind of changed my mind on is most game assets and perhaps all of them don't actually need to have corresponding crypto assets. So if we take the example of SLP, there's very little additional utility that comes from having SLP be its own crypto asset separate from the AXS token. Uh, like I, I understand that, okay, yeah, there, there's some secondary trading that's going on and there were for a period merchants in the Philippines who were accepting it as currency, which is super cool. But they it, it could have also been something where SLP is the in-game currency and you need to convert it to AXS in order to extract it from the game. And then AXS is the only on-chain crypto asset. And the reason... So, sorry, not, mm -hmm. just to, to, sorry to interrupt you. What would then decide the relative value of AXS and SLP what? in that case? Like someone has to decide it or is it market forces? No, market or? forces. So I mean, the nice. So what, I think that one cool thing with crypto is the, the idea of an automated market maker and the X times Y equals K math is extremely useful outside of a crypto... Uh, setting as well, because video game designers could use the exact same mechanics to create, uh, you know, totally liquid, immediately settling materials markets in their game. So you could have an AMM in your game for trading the in-game currency and the value token, and then the value token is the only one that gets bridged out. So this kind of solves a bit of your point, Nico, where you don't want you you're going to assume that everything in Axie is priced in SLP because uh, people are going to generate more of it over time. It's going to you know get more inflated as people play the game and as there's more as there's more access to it. And if the game gets more popular, you don't want everything to get more expensive because you don't want new players to have to spend more and more and more to play the game. They should have like this kind of fixed, SLP price for playing the game so that the internal economy of the game is cohesive and sustainable and is not affected by the outside market forces. What's variable would be the trade rate between SLP and AXS, where if the game is growing, then you're able to buy more SLP with your AXS because its value is going up over time and more people are playing the game. So you have to work harder to earn another AXS token. But if you were early to the game and you accumulated all this SLP, you could have traded that to AXS and pulled it out of the game. And that's what's you know holding on to value for you. So there's it's a little bit of a uh, semantics, not the right word, but it doesn't make a huge difference going, you know, 
to having just one of the tokens on chain versus two. But I do think it simplifies things a little bit if there is this core asset that sets the base exchange rate with all of the other in-game materials, because there's going to be tons of other stuff, right? You're going to have all of your crafting materials and you might have like potions and like every fungible asset in the game would have a trading rate with AXS. And then separate from that, you might have the actual like item marketplace. And that could, that could be an AXS that could be in ETH or USDC. I think there's a lot of benefits to doing it in ETH or USDC, but this kind of just simplifies the whole game economy a little bit while retaining the benefits, like you said, of having that fixed supply token investors can hold on to over time. So, if I understand you correctly, um, and let's let's use Axie as a as a as a as a case um, to work on to to try to improve. What you would suggest is that they would make SLP a non-blockchain asset, a a asset that just lives within the Axie Infinity game, but they provide a automated market maker system where anyone can, you know, at any time sell SLP for AXS if they want to, you know, own a part of the game. Um, yeah. Yes, I, I won't say that I recommend it. I'll say I want a game to try this. <laughs> because okay. th this okay, is the so hard thing, right? We don't totally know what's going to work better and what's going to work worse. And we need more experiments to be run to try to get closer to the ideal solution, right? The, the fun thing about crypto is we're speed running an entirely new version of finance. And mm -hmm. we don't learn very much by copy and pasting the exact same method over and over again. So we know that the hyperinflationary breeding uh, to token, whatever, like we know these models have issues. And the only way we will get closer to a more ideal model is if we try more things out. And to me, this seems like an interesting next thing to try, but I obviously can't guarantee that it will go better. So you're saying you're saying that we should make this exact podcast like a quarterly thing. So talk about <laughs> Come up know, with more experiments, experiments for games to done. run. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Nice. Vader, your thoughts here. Sure. Another um, question for me. So you're saying that SLP should be an off-chain item, but it can be tradable against access, right? Correct. Um, how I mean, how does that change anything? Given that, you know, whether SLP is on-chain or not, it's still it's still a tradable asset on secondary markets. The main difference would be that SLP's price is denominated in AXS instead of being denominated in USDC or ETH. So one thing that uh, is not super intuitive about AMMs and you know Uniswap, whatever, is almost all cryptocurrencies are priced in ETH and maybe to a lesser extent USDC. So as ETH moves, all of those token prices automatically move as well, even if nobody buys or sells them. If ETH drops 50%, most altcoins, uh, most on-chain ERC-20s are also going to drop 50% because they're traded for a certain amount of that token for a certain amount of ETH. So by separating out SLP into its own liquidity pools paired with ETH, you're separating its price action from price action on AXS, and so it can move separately. By pairing it only with AXS and making requiring holding AXS uh, be the on and off ramp for trading all of the in-game resources, 
you necessitate more value accrual in the ecosystem back to that token, uh, at least temporarily, but hopefully more for over the long term as well. Okay, so you're saying that by having an AMM pool, by forcing people to uh, withdraw SLP only through AXS, that can um, at least add some more value to AXS, right? Rather than people withdrawing from SLP to USD in, in their Binance account. Correct. Got it. But it should yeah, also I mean, I, it should also increase the value of AXS within the game economy over time. And to your point about not making them purely securities, because a lot of these things are basically securities, right? Uh, if that's sort of the like on and off ramp for value in the ecosystem, then as more people are earning SLP to trade for fewer and fewer AXS tokens, the AXS purchasing power within the game increases over time. Okay. Yeah, I mean, in, in my opinion, like if 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 people want to sell SLP, if if someone has a price for SLP and they think it's overvalued or excess, as long as you give them the tools and platforms to trade them, you know, it's going to be priced. Um, like in my opinion, the the biggest problem with building a sustainable economy uh, is actually. Um, gold farmers and uh, when when like when Nat said you know adding USDC in RuneScape um, could be pretty cool I immediately thought about uh, this this problem of having an industrialized gold farmer um, you know organizations across the game and they opportunistically basically abusing the game economy and causing hyperinflation um, until it's not viable anymore. I think like that's the biggest problem that these open game economy designers and open game economy central banks have to deal with. And I think this is this is where like these emissions, sinks, maybe like anti-bot um, products or algorithms are going to be pretty significant. I guess why is that a problem though? Because it's I mean, you're you're describing it as abusing the economy, farming, you know, extracting value, but it sounds I mean, they're just playing the game and making money from it, right? The the downside would be that as more people do that, the value of gold would significantly decrease over time and you'd pretty quickly hit the point where for anybody in the US or you know other more developed countries, it probably wouldn't make economic sense to go play the game. But I, I'm not convinced that's a bad thing, right? Because it would be really, I mean, otherwise you would have to price fix and try to implement currency controls to force the gameplay to be worth a certain amount. But then you've, in, you've kind of created a Ponzi-ish dynamic then, because if you're trying to force a certain unit of work to pay more than the intrinsic market value of it, that can only be sustainable for so long, right? Like you, you have to have VC money that you're dumping into it or something, right? Like why not just let the market find the value of mining copper ore all day and see where it ends up? Sure. A great question. So, I mean, let's think about the player personas, right? In Vepture games, there are traditional gamers um, in in Web3, there are 
gold farmers, there are crypto digents. I mean, in, in Web2, we have gold farmers as well. But when we think about their motivations, a traditional gamer, um, the main motivation is either, you know, to be as powerful as possible or to be connected with other people, just, you know, uh, very high level motivations. And um, what they want to do is they want to continue through the game loop. And whenever they earn a new resource or asset or item, they would reinvest that back into the game to, you know, earn a better item, better loot, or to, you know, fight with a better beast. Now, when we think about like these people, you know, typically these are the gamers who are at the top of Maslow's, um, you know, pyramid. They, what they want to do is to have, they want to get, gain some emotions. Now, when we think about more the gold farmers and gold farmers are, um, you know, could be like the Vebtree guild scholars where they're pretty low in the Maslow pyramid. They're typically in developing countries, like playing the game to earn for them is like an alternative gig to, you know, driving Uber or doing something else. So whenever they earn an item, if that item has some value, they're going to want to cash it out immediately because they don't have the financial means to, you know, um, afford the game at all. Um, so when you have, you know, if you have one or 10 people like this within your game economy, maybe it's not going to be that a big problem. But when you have industrialized gold farmers constantly um, playing and hyperinflating the economy with new resources, uh, you, you have like two problems. Problem one is like the traditional gamer, he probably earned some gold, right, by killing a beast or by playing the game gameplay loop. And now those gold are not worth that much anymore. So with that gold, you know, maybe maybe two days ago, he could have bought some really good item or loot that would enable him to play the next level and to get have more fun and to get even more addicted. But now he can't get it and he might feel that something is unfair. So this is like one problem that I think it's a bit like um, it's a bit like the fun left on the table for those gamers that are taken by the gold farmers. That's like number one problem. And I think number two problem, and I don't have any evidence on this. This is just an argument. It's not validated. I think if you have like, say, um, a game economy where like an MMO, where 90% of the, the players are gold farmers, you know, they're, they're in Filipino they're in Vietnam, they're just playing to earn. They don't care too much about the fun element. They just want to play it so they can bring food on the table. Um, the remaining 10%, you know, I don't know how that will affect the uh, entertainment or experience of that remaining 10%. So there is a possibility, and again, this is not something that is proven, that the LTV or retention of those 10% could be reduced by the fact that the game is dominated by the 90% gold farmers. And there's one more thing I just remembered. Um, like if you have a game that starts with the earn element and gold farmers, so for example, a game like Axie, you know, I think one reason um, why traditional gamers hate NFTs and don't like the blockchain, blockchain games is because like 
they constantly see content. And when I say content, can be you know, YouTube videos, articles, meme, where they see that everyone's talking about how you can earn from that game, how much you can earn, what you should do to earn money, rather than what the traditional gamers are used to consuming, which is around the fun of the gameplay, how to pass that level, etc. And I think like when you try to bootstrap a game by initially going to gold farmers and guilds, and then you try to when you try to attract traditional gamers, um, unless traditional gamers have changed their opinion on NFTs and and the earn element in games, it's probably going to be a bit difficult to attract those gamers just because of the negative connotation around NFTs and play to earn. Your thoughts, Nat? Yeah, I think, I mean, going back to the first couple of points around gold farmers and making the work of the serious players more valueless, I don't think that's an inherent issue of gold farmers. That's just kind of capitalism in action, right? Because they're not making the more serious non-farmers work less valuable. They're finding the true value of that work. Those early players might have benefited from a pre-price discovery period of being able to sell their work for more money. But if there are people who are willing to make a dollar an hour playing the game, then that is what that time in the game is worth. Just because your motivations are, you know, quote unquote, more pure to play the game for fun doesn't mean you deserve to make more money if there's not actual value there. So I think like I think that argument is actually more against crypto gaming in general, because I think once we introduce crypto to gaming, we're going to discover that the value of work in games is is very low, right? It's probably in that couple dollars an hour range because of the fun aspect. And if people think that they can just, you know, play Diablo casually a few hours a week and make a good like, middle, you know, uh, middle-class salary that, I mean, that's just not going to happen, right? <laughs> or it's going to happen for a week while the breeding Ponzi is in full force. And then we're going to discover the like true market value of that work relatively quickly. Um, mm-hmm. and I think this is what, you know, I, I do tend to agree with a lot of the pure gamer type dislike towards the financialization of gaming because the, usually the point of playing a game is to have fun, right? It's to take a break from work. It's because we spend 8, 10, 12 hours a day in this hyper-financialized world where everything feels very transactional. And then we get to take a break and just have fun and goof off with our friends and not have to think about the like ROI or cost or whatever of these activities that we're doing. And microtransactions started to ruin that because they changed it from a single transaction to many transactions where you're constantly thinking, okay, do I put more money into this game? Do I not? Where do I stop? And then with crypto in gaming, it, it gets much worse because now every decision is financial. And uh, you know, one thing that makes some of these early games and this uh, initial value accrual dynamic a lot less fun is if you have game assets and you're not utilizing them every minute for their highest and best use, you're losing money, right? Like 
if you've played any of these games, right? Like it, I, I feel this a little bit with crypto unicorns where the game is, is really nicely designed and the farming simulator is fun. And the, like the economic, it's like a good economic sim, but I can't enjoy it as much because I feel like if I don't go play it for a day, then I'm just like wasting money and leaving money on the table. It's very different from Sim City or something where you don't have that, that feeling. So I kind of won't be surprised if we see games really like split between these two camps where you'll have the more Elden Ring Dota 2 style ones on one side. And like actually Dota 2 is a good example where you'll you might have like cosmetics, right? Like just purely cosmetic stuff that there is a market for. And most Dota 2 cosmetics are not worth very much. They're worth a few dollars. Uh and then you'll and so you'll have kind of like that version of crypto gaming. You might have a World of Warcraft RuneScape style with a liquid gold market and the value of time in that game might only be a couple dollars an hour, but it will be, you know, you'll be getting some value at least or be able to cash some of it out. Uh, and then you'll have games that just try to keep it pure and don't involve any of it. Uh, I, it, it, it would be really, really hard, I think, to have a game where the value of the work does not rapidly approach a pretty small amount of money uh, considering the like fun aspect of farming in it. These are fascinating discussions and I feel like we could probably spend some hours on this. Um, some thoughts from my side. I've, um, I've been thinking about, you know, these specific issues a lot. I think, I think we can all agree the moments there is any type of, you know, you spend time in a game and you earn something from it. All of that gets absolutely ruined if we don't solve botting mm. as a problem. You know, I think one of the key issues to solve within crypto gaming is some kind of proof of humanity where, you know, you can attach one wallet to one individual and, you know, only they can play at that time. And, and there's, they're, like, we need to find a way to enforce that because the moment you can, you know, allow for botting, we, we've talked to, you know, I've talked to on this podcast to game developers who said that, you know, botting is what keeps them up at, light, at night. So, you know, those are my initial thoughts there. And I think, you know, that relates to Vader's point around, you know, just farms of people who make it their job to actually optimize, you know, a core game loop that re rewards you with a certain asset that you can then, you know, sell for a, a real value. Um, I think it's a, it's an important discussion. And I think, you know, the ability to add value within virtual worlds is something I think that is desirable for the future, you know, for games in the future. Um, and I think at that point, and I agree with not with your point as well, there will be a basic cost or value given to time within games. So essentially, like you'll have assets and you kind of will know that that asset required 10 hours of in-game work. And then, you know, that will be priced according to how, mu how much like an, an hour of a human time is 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 valued. Um, I know this sounds absolutely dystopian as as as. As hell, but um, you know, I, I think that's that's what we're moving towards, you know, as a capitalistic society. Um, you agree, Nat? Yeah, totally. I I think that we, I mean, I, I really do feel like crypto gaming got off to such a bad start. <laughs> I mean, it, it it not totally bad because there have been some big successes, and there are teams working on you know really great projects and really great games, but the expectations I think are all wrong where people see how much money some people made off of 
uh, Axie and some of these others. I mean, this is to Vader was like spot on with this, where the first question is, okay, like how much can you earn, right? And the the traditional gaming community is looking at that and they're saying, you know, like this is just so like hyper financialized, like it's it's totally ruining the spirit of gameplay. And it there, and this could just be me being idealistic, but it does feel like if it came at it the other way, where we just said, okay, these gray markets already exist. People have been selling World of Warcraft gold outside the game for 15 years or whatever, right? We're just gonna we're gonna try to like formalize that a little bit and then try to control the like botting or pure extraction as much as possible. Um, you know, that that might at least be a little more acceptable to the traditional gaming crowd. Uh, because, you know, it's like I, I tried to buy World of Warcraft Gold once and I got scammed. They just took my like $50 and never gave me anything. And that's kind of a frustrating experience. And if if Blizzard just had a, a bridge for it that I could use, that would have been better. Uh, because I, I do believe on some level that there is market value to the time people have put into video games. And there should be some way to recapture the value of that time and spent, right? Like Diablo Immortal is getting a ton of shit right now because it costs, what, $100,000 if you want to get to max mm. gear level. And there, I, I retweeted this yesterday. It's a really funny Reddit discussion where people are saying, like, this is so ridiculous, you know, that you could spend all this money and then there's no way to resell those items to somebody else. And the whole NFT crowd is looking at that and going like, well, you know, like, <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if you could do that? Uh, Look at this. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I feel like some version of that is inevitable, but the current NFT gaming crowd is just going to be very disappointed by how little the market actually values time in games. And that's going to be, I, I think, the tough, the tough bridge because... Uh, and this is a general problem for crypto, I think, overall, is people are still hoping that they can get their one ticket to lifetime financial freedom if they just pick the right yes. game or project or whatever. Um, it's going to take some time to get out of that yes. mentality. My, um, the way I look at it right now, if you're starting a crypto gaming company, you basically have two options. Um, one option is to try and build a sustainable game from the ground up and almost be certain that no one will pay attention because you're, the, the value of your token is not annexing and people are not able to make, you know, or there's no hope for people that, you know, actually play, their, play your game to make a life-changing amount of money, which, you know, that, that's basically what they're here for. And then the other option is to go the Axie route and hope that you can, you know, tweak the breeding Ponzi in a good way. So, you know, you have a unsustainable growth, then a crash, but at least at that point, you know, people will have your assets and you'll have some money and then you can, you know, start building. And um, that, that it seems like today with the current situation and, and the current mindset of a, of a lot of players, um, that's where we're at. You agree, Vader? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how sustainable the second model is just because I think any game for, for any game to be sustainable, and it's like for any business to be sustainable, your inflows need to be more than your outflows. And um, for any game, the inflows are coming from players who are willing to spend because they're having fun. So to have a sustainable game business model or economy, you need to somehow attract these people. And um, I mean, if, if you're doing a game like a, like a gambling game, 
yes, that's a, that's a different conversation. But otherwise, you need to somehow attract these like gamers who are used to spending, you know, thousands of dollars on in-game purchases without having any future expectations. You know, they're spending because they're buying emotions, they're either feeling more powerful or they want some companionship, so they're they're paying for this. Um, so like a, a couple of points uh, on, on what, what you guys have been discussing. Um, so I think that I definitely agree with Nat that the earnings of the gold farmers are not gonna be, you know, too high. And I, I envision that there's gonna be this like gold farmer labor market with no minimum wage floor where you know if it's um if it's too low for someone in the us it's, it's going to be high for someone in philippines if it's too low for someone in philippines it's going to be high for it's going to be you know attractive for someone in kenya and you know as as gradually this like price that someone can earn from a game will eventually go low and low um and you know when when we when we talk about like time equals value, when we talk about like these people, they spend some time in a game, and there is some value, right? Like someone is willing to pay I don't know five dollars for that gold on RuneScape's gray market. Like when we think about where does the value actually come from, right? Like someone is willing to spend in the game, so a traditional gamer who spends money in the game for fun, is willing to spend in the game, um, like what makes that person spend, right? Um, and Nat touched on this in, in one of his articles. He's talking about how gamers prefer buying items from someone else, some real you know gamer, some real player, rather than from the game developer itself. Now, I completely agree. I think this is something, this like social connectedness is something that adds value. So I think the value here probably not purely comes from the grinding, but a bit more from the social aspect. So, so I think like if we have, you know, again, the value comes from the whale that spends, right? The gamer that spends. So if you are adding value, you have to add some, you have to contribute on that whale's spending, right? So let's let's give examples of you know um, grinder A and grinder B. If grinder B is a bit better in either like social or somehow the whale is attracted to grinder B's I don't know communication style or personality or avatar, the spender might be more willing to spend, right? And meaning grinder B has. Um, the potential to add more value than Grinder A. So Grinder B should be rewarded more. So my, my point is, like, if you're adding like real value, um, like beyond just grinding and beyond just selling your time against money, if you're adding some social or some other value that convinces one percent on the whale's spending behavior, I think that is that definitely should be rewarded. And as games give back to these, you know, uh, people, and another thesis is that as you know, we see AI, and a lot of people are going to get unemployed with AI. I think this is going to be a huge opportunity for a lot of people uh, to to you know make some side income from games. Yeah, mm -hmm. Vader touched on a really important point there, which is I think 
Uh, it seems silly once you say it, but it's unintuitive to a lot of the like crypto gaming community right now, which is the net ROI has to be negative. <laughs> if if people are not spending more money on the game than is being earned, then the game is like <clears throat> Ponzi unsustainable something. Like mm-hmm. if, you, if you come into a Discord and there's a spreadsheet and it's like, oh yeah, you put money in and you're going to get like a 20% ROI in six weeks. Like that can't last because the game has to make money. <laughs> like they, they can't just run this. Yeah. They can just be like giving away money for years and years. Uh, and it's, it's really this question of like, okay, maybe... Maybe the like 10, 20% hardcore gold farmers are making a positive ROI on their time and resources put into the game. But most people have to be spending more than they're earning, which means the game has to be fun enough to attract that kind of spending. Like it, it, it seems ridiculous to say these things, but <laughs> it's, it's like, it's kind of the, the paradigm we have to reframe around, right? It, it shouldn't be that you are guaranteed to make money buying all these assets that you get to play a game and then you get to recapture some of the value of that time afterwards, but only some of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, let me give you one more example. Imagine a, a bar or a nightclub, right? There are spenders and there are non-spenders. Um, Now, spenders spend because they appreciate power and the existing of some other people around them, right? But not everyone, some specific people. So, you know, the value is driven from that social value add. I didn't want to get too deep into this example, but I hope you got my analogy. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Someone's got to get bottle it service. Remi- it reminds me of. It reminds me of, of when I was playing Warzone. The game Warzone is so much better because when you kill someone, you can hear them scream in frustration. And so basically, my game was made better just because other players were playing the game with me. And <laughs> and so that's you know added value for me. Um, I didn't spend much in that game, but um, you know I think you know at some point, it, just the, just the fact that you're a human makes things more fun, right? Um, for others. Um, and so I, I think that's one way that people will be able to to bring value. I think this is a fascinating discussion. We we went a bit away from, you know, tokenomics, one versus two token models, but I believe we covered that as well. Um, you know, what I learned, Nat, from your point around the situation we're in and the options that current crypto games have is, um, you know, a bear market is officially over when the last person that was in it to make money has given up and sold. And so... <laughs> The moment we will be in a healthy blockchain gaming space will be the moment where the last person has given up on being able to make money by, like, make an insane amount of money, a speculative amount of money by playing games. At that point, the games that are actually, you know, building sustainably will attract people because their game is fun. And, um, yeah, it unfortunately might take a while, but I feel like that's 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 a conclusion I draw. Yeah, we're we're still super 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 early, but I'm generally bullish on crypto gaming as being one of the few things that attracts a ton of people into Web three and crypto, right? Like Stepin's economy was super unsustainable, and we're seeing the effects of that now. And uh, you know, a, a lot of people definitely lost money getting into it. But to give them credit, I never saw anything else attract non crypto people in the way that they did where people were like curious, they were setting up Solana wallets, they were asking about like what to do with USDC, right? There, there were just all these people in my life who had 
never been interested in crypto at all who were suddenly like curious to try it out. And I, I think we have this kind of backwards question of how do we attract more people to Web3 and crypto when really we should be asking, you know, what can we build that a lot of people will actually use that happens to have crypto and Web3 rails. And when you think about like where do people spend a lot of time online or, you know, just, yeah, mostly online, right? It's like they don't spend a lot of time in their like Schwab accounts trading, right? Like some people do, but that's not what most people are spending a lot of time on. They're spending a lot of time on social media, on video games, on like news and reading. And uh, gaming is absolutely going to be one of those things that is able to attract a lot of people over time once we figure out a, a more sustainable and healthy way to do it. Mm-hmm. 100%. All right. I think, um, you know, we're almost at the one hour mark. This has been a fantastic discussion. Um, I really would like to do this again sometime. So maybe we should do like a quarterly thing sure. and um, suggest some more weird tokenomics models that, that games companies can can use. Um, Nat, where, where can people find you? Uh, just Nat Eliason on Twitter, uh, N-A-T-E-L-I-S-O-N. Or I think if you just Google like crypto Nat, you'll find me. And then I have a newsletter as well. That's just crypto.nateliason.com. Fantastic. I just noticed that I completely butchered your last name. It's so fine. It's my weird. apologies it's, for that. It's a, it's a butchered, yeah. remanufactured Scandinavian last name. So it's, okay. it's not phonetic at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, how about you, Vader? Um, DeFi Vader on Twitter. You can find me there. Fantastic. So both of these gentlemen put out some uh, some really good stuff. So I would definitely recommend subscribing there. Um, and if you're doing that and you're interested in learning more about this, Navic actually does some fantastic breakdowns of a lot of these projects that we discussed here. Um, and we also have a pro subscription. Um, if you use the code Metacost there, you'll get, I think, 10% off. So go do that. And then with that, Vader and Nats, thank you so much for being here. This was really fun. I really enjoyed this. You have, um, you know, great thoughts, also well explained. So, um, yeah, we should do this again sometime. And then, listener, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed. And, um, yeah, we'll speak to you in the next episode. Cheers.